Uh, I do have some classified information right now. Um, it's about Nate. Uh, he doesn't know I'm about to say this. Um, I corroborated with a, an unknown source. He finished his PhD. He is now a Dr. Hurst. <laughs> I'm also supposed to make some announcements, so I did it the intellectual way. I'm gonna pick the most entertaining ones first. Number one, we're not supposed to touch the electric fence by the horses. Who knows where that is? It's right there. Now, why do I feel like the story of the Garden of Eden? Don't touch the apple. Don't touch it. So I don't know if this is making things worse or not. I don't know how much it hurts, but if somebody gets zapped, someone take a picture of the video. I do want to see it. Um, I think the only other one I'm going to mention is Please don't leave food outside. Maybe if your kids have food outside, there's bears in the area. Um, that also could be entertaining, but I think that's a little more dangerous than a little shock. So just one of those little housekeeping things to keep up. So without any further time from me, I want you to please welcome Dr. Nick. <laughs> All right, well, welcome to the Best Facts Apologetics Workshop. We are so excited that you're here for this, and I think you're going to get a lot out of this weekend. If you're wondering what the Best Facts means, you're going to have to wait a bit, but we will tell you tonight. We'll give you an introduction, but it is a great way to remember a coherent approach to defending your faith. I want to start by reading a verse. You can turn with me to 1 Peter 3.15, if you like. If you don't have your Bible, I think it's going to be on the PowerPoint above us. But in 1 Peter 3.15, we, we read a command to all believers. So sometimes I think believers tend to think of apologetics as a specialty for someone like Dr. Collins, all right, or Grant. That's not the case. All believers are called to defend their faith. And I am absolutely disgusted with the number of students that we meet on the college campus that have been told in church to stop asking questions, okay? That have been told in church, uh, don't, don't, don't go there, right? Just believe, just have more faith. It's time for us as the body of Christ to actually know how to answer these questions. And they're good questions. I'll get into that more. But I wanted to just start by saying, whether you're dealing with doubt or hoping to better defend your faith, this is the right place for you. And probably all of you are going to be in both of those boats at different times. And that's okay. Right? Do you remember Jesus' approach to Thomas, who doubted him? He didn't come down hard on him, right? I think sometimes we have this view, if you ever doubted, gosh, God is mad at you. That's not the case. He met him right where he was at and lovingly engaged him at his level. I can tell you that's been my story. God's done that with me for more than 30 years. All right? So I wanted to start by reading 1 Peter 3.15, and then we will uh, jump into a lot more here. It says, But in your hearts set apart Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the hope that you have, or to give a reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. Right? So this is a command to believers, and I think it's something that we all need to take seriously. And this is where the word apologetics comes from. So when he says, always be, re always be ready to give the reason, the Greek there is to give a defense, and it's apologia. It actually means always be ready to give an apologetic for your faith. 
That's where the word apologetics comes from. It doesn't come from the idea of apologizing for your faith. Although a lot of times we see Christians today doing that. Uh, Sometimes, rightfully so, maybe they've hurt someone. But a lot of times I think we're almost uh, apologetic for the fact that we believe what we believe. And that's that's not good. You guys, apologetics is basically defending your faith. And to to do that in a respectful and loving way is key. I mean, we read that right in this passage. I'm going to break that passage down into three main kind of points. First is dealing with doubt. It says to always be ready to give a defense for the hope that you have. That implies that you have hope to defend. Does that make sense? And I think a lot of times when you're dealing with doubt, you don't feel like you have all that much hope. right? So we're going to talk about that. How do you deal with doubt? Next, we're going to talk about defending your faith, and we're going to unpack five keys to defending your faith from this passage. And they're all relevant. And guys, I'm not talking to you as a theoretician. I've spent the last decade plus on the college campus talking with college students about these things. I've debated atheists on the college campus in different formats. I know that these answers are solid, and we can all grow in them. So we'll talk about the five keys to defending your faith that are found right here in 1 Peter 3.15. And I want to close with a third point, which is actually the application, and that's just doing it well. A lot of people do apologetics very poorly. So we're going to talk about doing it well and not getting sucked into kind of a routine that can really do more harm than good. All right? You guys, let me tell you a little bit about the best facts. Uh, A well-known Christian apologist that many of you know, I'm not going to quote him right now because he's in the process of giving us more feedback on the best facts and and uh, maybe even write in the preface to, to the eventual version that's going to get completed. What you have on your chair is kind of like an initial first draft. But his first statement, and this is one of the top five apologists in the U.S., he says, the best facts is very catchy and informational. So what you have, I think, is a great way to approach apologetics. I'm going to encourage you, memorize these acronyms. Learn them. Don't use them to beat somebody over the head, but learn them so that in your own mind, when doubt comes up, you can deal with it, and so that when a conversation comes up, you'll be equipped. A lot of times, Christians, when a conversation comes up, why are you a believer? That we go, oh, <laughs> oh wait, um, evolution's false. Well, maybe evolution is false, but here's, here's some news for you. Even if evolution is false, that doesn't mean Jesus is true. Does that make sense? I believe evolution is false, but we got to have a more comprehensive approach to defending our faith than just a negative apologetic against evolution or something like that. You guys, we need to be equipped to give a defense of our hope, not to give a rebuttal against the other guys. Not that anyone ever has hope in evolution, because it's kind of a hopeless worldview. All right? I need to tell you my story as we start. I dealt with doubt as much as anybody in this room throughout my life. And I feel like I can say this in honesty. It's been about a good decade since any doubt phased me. Now, I'm not going to say that uh, you have to be in the same place. Maybe you've never dealt with doubt. Great. Maybe you'll be 80 and still dealing with doubt. That's okay. Your doubt is not necessarily the enemy you think it is. Okay? I want to encourage you. Jesus will meet you right in that area. And he'll do it in a very personal and real way. But I do want to encourage you. My story... As I struggled through doubt, I found answers. And that's helped me defend my faith in contexts where a lot of people aren't defending their faith. Uh, With the next generation of college students that desperately need to hear the hope that we have. Because the world is not giving them any hope. Okay, so the best facts is an acronym. We'll unpack that in a little while. 
But I just want to encourage you right now that, that it will help you deal with your own doubt. And that's what I want to talk about for a second. So again, I said it, give a defense for the hope that you have. It's right there in 1 Peter 3.15. And, and to do that well, you need to have that hope and know your hope. And that includes dealing with doubt. Now, a lot of times people, when they encounter doubt, they just hope it'll go away. Have you ever been there? <laughs> I don't, I'm afraid to look, I'm afraid to dig into it because I'm afraid of what I might find, right? Or I just hope it'll go away, okay? I, so a few years of lots of intense doubt that I dealt with were right after we did a bunch of debates with some atheists. And I didn't doubt God, per se, but I doubted a lot of particulars. Does that make sense? A lot of peripheral issues began to come up in my mind, and it created some agony. But I'll tell you what, guys. As you deal with doubt, know that you're not alone. Probably everybody in some capacity has dealt with this in some way. And maybe it's not been in the same way that you have. So some people deal with doubt in a relational sense. How could God really love me? And maybe they've never doubted God's existence, but they've had a different experience of doubt. And maybe others are really struggling with something like God's existence. How could I believe in God's existence? Or what about the, the verifiability of the Bible? Is it really true? Or what about evolution? You'd go on and on and on. Let me tell you some of what you're going to hear. Okay, this is a title that was in the news last week. You might have caught this. This is from The Independent in the United Kingdom, and the title of the story eight days ago said, The Bible says Canaanites were wiped out by Israelites, but scientists just found their descendants living in Lebanon. So when you read that, how do you feel right off the bat? Now, some of you already caught what's going on, okay? Let me tell you what the New York Times said. They said that this new genetic study contradicts the biblical story that an ancient war wiped out the Canaanites. You're going to come face to face with things like this. You're going to have to wrestle with these things. Now, this one's an easy out. <laughs> the Bible never says the Canaanites were wiped out. God told Israel to wipe them out, and Israel didn't obey. If you look, if you look at Judges, all throughout Judges, they're dealing with the consequence of them not obeying God. Uh, Jesus, you might remember, actually healed the child of a Canaanite woman in the New Testament in Matthew 15. So the idea that the Bible said they were wiped out, it's nonsense. But you know what? This even appeared in a scientific journal last week. And not just a scientific journal, in science. Probably the premier scientific journal of all of them ran this story that the Bible is false because of a scientific finding. They had to retract it and actually retitle it. Good for them. Too bad not everybody did that. But the point is, is you're going to be brought face to face with real doubt that you really have to deal with. And it's increasingly common in this world. And more often than not, it is absolutely one-sided, and it's meant to trick you. I've heard stories like this. Uh, of course, evolution is a fact. We can, we can see it happen. We can measure it. We can, we can watch it happen in a laboratory. Antibiotic-resistant bacteria. Have you ever heard this? All this is is natural selection, where the ones that are naturally unable to fight off this antibiotic, they all die. And the ones that are naturally able to, they perpetuate. Does that make sense? This is not... Darwinian evolution. This is natural selection, something everybody knows to be true, okay? But the way people title things will make you believe that you got it all wrong and you can't be confident in what God tells you in the Bible. I want to encourage you as you struggle with doubt to know there's a lot of hope and Jesus will meet you right there with your doubt. 
Now, there are two kinds of doubt, guys. Uh, there's intellectual doubt and there's emotional doubt. And most doubt is emotional doubt. Intellectual doubt is what you have when you're faced with a question and you don't have an answer for it. So maybe when I read that title from eight days ago from The Independent, you thought, I don't know how to answer that. That created some intellectual doubt. But then maybe when you heard that the Bible never said the Canaanites were completely wiped out, there was a physical answer, a real answer to that question. So now the intellectual doubt has been satisfied. You get it? That was intellectual doubt. Now, what if you keep doubting? But what if? What if the Bible is wrong when it says things like that? What if? What if Shishak never existed? You ever hear names like that? And go, Shishak? Who made that up? Og? Og? Who made Og up? You know that there's archaeological evidence for those guys? But you might have some emotional doubt where in spite of the evidence, you're tempted to doubt what you just don't know. That's emotional doubt. And we all struggle with both the intellectual and the emotional sides of that coin. When you deal with intellectual doubt, it is very important that you find a good answer. There are good answers out there, and I encourage you to find good answers, but I also encourage you to look for good answers in good places because there are a lot of people that want to mislead you, okay? Now, when it's an emotional doubt, I encourage you to go back to what you know is true. There will be some questions that you never get answered, and that's okay. Time will tell, right? There, there are still questions that come up in my mind that I don't have a solid answer for, and I'm okay with that. Because the evidence for the things that really matter is overwhelming. For example, the evidence for the resurrection of Jesus Christ is irrefutable. Okay? And if Jesus rose from the dead, I don't care what other question I have. I'm trusting him. Because nobody else ever did that. And nobody else ever promised to do it for me if I believe in them. Do you get what I'm saying? So I can say, look, I know you rose from the dead. That answer is solid. So I might have this lingering doubt over here about who knows what. I'm not going to let it kill me. And you know what? I can have peace knowing that sometime there's going to be a good answer for that. All right. So I encourage you as you deal with doubt, get good answers, and then tell yourself the truth. Remind yourself of what you know to be true. Okay? Make a habit of telling yourself the truth. And don't shut people down. When somebody approaches you with a doubt, don't, don't bulldoze them, guys. We had an intern once. And she was told by our youth pastor, don't ask questions like that anymore. In fact, if you're going to ask questions like that, you might as well become an atheist. Isn't that amazing? Tragic, right? Okay, when you deal with doubt, don't let your insecurity cause you to treat others that way and bulldoze them. But learn how to defend your faith. All right, so the first point there was dealing with your own doubt. Learn how to do that well. Next, I want to talk about defending your faith, something that also comes right from 1 Peter 3.15. Here are five keys. We're going to unpack them kind of fast, and we're going to jump to the next topic, which will be archaeology. Number one is relinquish control. We read here, but in your hearts set apart Christ as Lord. Okay? So when we think about apologetics, we start first when we defend our faith saying, Jesus, you're Lord. I'm following you. It might not be convenient to defend my faith, but you're in charge, not me. You've asked me to do this. So you're Lord, and I'm following you. All right? Remember Isaiah's attitude in Isaiah 6, 8. Here am I. Send me. That's the attitude we need to have as we engage with people in our society that don't have the hope that we have. I'm willing, God. Let me talk to them. You students that are going to be in college next semester... 
Be ready to engage people with the hope that you have and the evidence for it. Uh, in Matthew 28, 18 through 20, we're told to go and make disciples of all nations. And increasingly, apologetics is going to play a big role in making disciples of all nations, both in the evangelistic side of that and in the discipleship side of that. Okay, number two, key number two, resolve to be a light. But in your hearts, set apart Christ as Lord, right? Resolve to be a light. He's the one that called me to do this. I am going to be a light for him. In Matthew 5, he said, don't hide your light, right? But shine brightly. So resolve to be a light. He's Lord, and I'm going to be a light like he's called me to be a light. I want to tell you something here. Apologetics begins with evangelism. Don't put the cart ahead of the horse. I think a lot of times we assume people have to have this big defense before they can become a Christian. That's not necessarily the case. There are many, many people that will hear the gospel and respond. So start with that. But when the questions come up, be ready to deal with them. Key number three, ready yourself. This passage tells us always be prepared. Unfortunately, there are many Christians that have never spent 30 minutes preparing to defend their faith. This isn't something that you can just wing. This isn't something that you can do because you saw a cool bumper sticker in your church parking lot once. This is something you should prepare for. You should be diligent about finding good answers and being ready to share those with others. I want to tell you something, and this might hurt, but it's true. Unconvinced apologists are unconvincing. Okay? So get convinced. I've heard so many people just meander all over the place, and they don't have a coherent defense, and the person you're talking to catches it that fast. So prepare. Be diligent. Learn to persuade people. In 2 Corinthians 5, we are told to persuade people. Okay? And Paul, all throughout Acts, in Acts 17, 2, 4, 17, in Acts 18, in Acts 19, in Acts 24, in Acts 28, it says that Paul persuaded people. It's a lie that if you can talk someone into it, you can talk them out of it. Right? I'm not saying it's on you to talk them into it. The Holy Spirit has to work with them. But it is on you to obey this passage and be ready to give a defense so the Holy Spirit has something to work with in their life. Does that make sense? Okay, so, so be ready to meet them where they're at, to give them those solid answers, and then to let the Holy Spirit work in their heart and continue working in their heart. We debated some atheists on campus several years ago, and the next day I saw one of those atheists, and I said, so how are you doing? He said, I didn't sleep last night. <laughs> and I said, really? And he said, and I'm not an atheist anymore. Wow. Isn't that cool? Wow. Uh, to my knowledge, he hasn't become a Christian, but he was one of the founding members of the Secular Humanist Intellectual Thinking Society at Fort Lewis College. So share the evidence and then let the Holy Spirit work with somebody. Let the Holy Spirit keep them up all night, okay? All right. Key number four, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. People can't ask you about a hope they don't know you have. So key number four is reach out. Take the initiative. Don't wait for them to come to you. You go to them. You know, take the initiative to engage people in conversation. You guys, I want to tell you one more key, and that's respect those you share with. Okay, that's right here. It says, but do this with gentleness and respect. A lot of Christians are not known for gentleness and respect. And unfortunately, a lot of people that have done a lot of apologetics aren't either. Maybe we come in and just hit them hard. I encourage you to read tactics. I know Grant's going to talk about some of those principles this weekend. But learn how to work with someone in a conversational way, not in a bulldozing way. Does that make sense? Okay, those are five keys to defending your faith. So number one is deal with your own doubt. 
Number two is defend your faith. Those keys are important. I want to talk last about doing it well, guys. And this is the application. So dealing with doubt and defending your faith well is critically important. We have to do this well. We can't just do a quick job at this. We need to be diligent with apologetics. Okay, I'm going to give you a quick recap of the best facts and the tall tales. And then we'll dig into that a little bit this week. You have a workbook that goes into it some more. But we're also not just going to spend the whole week on those different acronyms and those different arguments. We have Dr. Collins here. And so we're going to kind of zoom in on archaeology, which is the A in facts. And we're going to learn a lot more archaeology than we normally would because we have one of the premier archaeologists in the world with us this weekend. I got a a sneak peek at his uh, PowerPoint, and it was exhilarating to see some of it. Okay? But let me tell you the best facts in the tall tales. The best is an acronym that stands for the, the arguments for the existence of God. These are not all of them by any means, but there's some of them, and there are others. Okay? The facts is an acronym that stands for arguments for the reliability of God's word, the Bible. These two combined are what we call positive apologetics. This is giving a positive defense for what we believe. Like I said before, if all you do is refute evolution, that doesn't prove Christianity. Does that make sense? we got to get good at defending Christianity. And that starts with defending God. Does that make sense? So the best arguments are arguments for the existence of God. i got to stress it. There are others that we can't, we don't possibly have the time to deal with this weekend. Right? The facts arguments are arguments for the reliability of Scripture. I think 80% of your apologetics should be positive apologetics. The major thrust should be why I believe what I believe. Now, that's different than what the atheists do. If you talk to an atheist and he says, I'm an atheist, i got to tell you the best question to ask him. You know what it is? What evidence led you to atheism? I have yet to hear an answer. Usually, this is what you get. Because the only evidence that they give for atheism is you don't have any evidence, (laughs) which of course isn't true. And when they say that, I say, well, oh, I disagree. I'd love to share that with you. Can I share some of the evidence with you? But what they're doing is a negative apologetic. I'm right because you're wrong. Well, they haven't even proved I'm wrong, but even if I were wrong, that doesn't mean they're right. Do you get what I'm saying? So we can't fall into that same same mistake. I want to encourage you to defend your faith well. Stick with the positive apologetics 80% of the time. There will be times when you have to refute other worldviews, and that's where the tall tales come in. The tall acronym describes why other worldviews are wrong, and the tales acronym describes why atheistic evolution is wrong. Let me go through it real quickly, and then I'm going to summarize this thing, and I'm going to hand it over to Dr. Collins. The best acronym. You can know God exists because B, the beginning of the universe, requires a God. E, the engineering of the universe requires a God. And there are logical arguments for each of these first three that are watertight, okay? They're in your book. S, standards and morality. Some people say, well, atheists can be moral. Well, yeah, I didn't say they can't. But if there is no God, there's no such thing as morality. If there is no God, nothing is objectively right or wrong. And somebody might say, well, that's a weak argument for God. No, it's not. Because unless you're willing to say that rape is no different than feeding hungry people, unless you're willing to go there, and some, Dawkins will go there. He'll say there's nothing but blind materialistic forces. There's no good or evil. 
If God doesn't exist, that's where you have to go, okay? But if you realize, yeah, things like rape and racism and ethnic cleansing are wrong, torturing babies is always wrong, if you believe those things, and in our society, I always like to say, what about homophobia? Do you think gay bashing is wrong? I did this with a gay student, you know? He's like, there's no God, there's no God. I was like, what about gay bashing? Do you think that's okay? He's like, absolutely not. I was like, well, there's no God. It's totally okay. It's just one arrangement of molecules versus another one. <laughs> but it, that, and that's absolutely true. If anything is objectively right or wrong, there has to be a standard by which right and wrong is measured. Okay? And then finally, T in the best argument in the best arguments is the truth about Jesus, the historical evidence for, for Jesus, God in human flesh, and his life, death, and resurrection is overwhelming. Okay, the FACTS acronym, the Bible foretells the future. It's archaeologically accurate. We'll look at that tonight and tomorrow. It, it is coherent. This is important. It is translated correctly, and there's science in the Bible that show God's fingerprints on his word. Those are compelling arguments for our faith. And there are others, but those are some good ones. And if you memorize that, you can bring that up in a respectful way that doesn't bulldoze someone, but that also shows you're not just ignorantly doing it because your parents told you to. Does that make sense? Now, what about other worldviews? The TALL acronym. We can reject other worldviews because they're theologically incoherent. They make ambiguous truth claims. They lack evidence, and they lack power to change lives. And those are all true. I wish I had time to unpack all that. We can reject evolution because the transitionary evidence is lacking. That's both in the fossil record, but also in the genetic record. You guys, the ENCODE project, which is the follow-up to the Human Genome Project, is doing incredible damage to the genetic case for, for Darwinian evolution. Okay? Um, A, the apparatus of evolution. The mechanism is insufficient. L, life does not come from non-life. E, the existence of information and design is naturalistically inexplicable. And yes, so is the start of the universe, which being, brings us right back to the being the best argument. Does that make sense? If you guys can memorize these, I think you'll be doing a good job to deal with your own doubt. When that doubt pops up, tell yourself the truth. I know what I've believed, and here are some reasons. Self, believe it. David did this all throughout the Psalms. <laughs> oh, my soul. <laughs> Remember this? Uh, pull an oh, my soul with yourself when you doubt, and remind yourself of the evidence. Next, guys, when you deal with others, defend your faith with good arguments. I want to I tell you, when you do that, ask good questions and listen carefully. You're going to get a lot more mileage out of questions than you will just telling people things. Ask good questions and learn to ask questions that put their worldview on the spot. Like asking the atheist what evidence led them to atheism. Okay? Be positive. Focus your apologetics on positive issues. Stay on track. You guys, as Christians, we are world famous for arguing for something 10 miles out there and not about Jesus. Don't do that. <laughs> Stick on Jesus, guys. He's the light, not that issue a mile out there. So stay on track, guys. Okay, guys, as I summarize this, I want to tell you one more way to do it well, okay? And this is do more than apologetics. <laughs> I told you be prepared. A lot of people aren't prepared. So be prepared. Be diligent. Read up. Guys, Grant's going to give you numerous websites that have great apologists. We're going to be doing more of these workshops. I've already talked to a few apologists that have said that they would come on and do like a Skype Q&A with you. Jay Warner Wallace is one of those that said that he would do a Skype Q&A. Several others have as well. I'm sure we could probably twist Dr. Collins' arm into doing something like that. 
I want to encourage you, get some good answers. But I also want to tell you, don't forget to cultivate the other areas of your walk with God. So if you want to do it well, guys, which we're talking about now, remember to love God with all your mind, but also to love him with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. Cultivate a deep walk with God in your intellectual and apologetical areas, but also in the other areas. Don't neglect those for the sake of apologetics. And don't neglect apologetics for the sake of those. Be a well-balanced Christian and a well-balanced apologist, and you'll be doing this well, okay? So guys, as I conclude, I want to tell you, you will deal with doubt. Don't freak out. Realize that every doubt is a way to strengthen your faith. It's true. Just like a weight pulls your arm down, and you have to wrestle it back up, and your muscle grows in the process, as you find answers for those questions, you'll grow in your faith. And you start to realize there is solid evidence for what I believe. I can have this hope unfettered and I can share it with others. And I got to tell you, Jesus will meet you in your doubt. And that's very exciting, just like he did with Thomas. So when you encounter doubt, don't freak out. (laughs) Trust that God is going to grow you through it. But also, don't be passive. Engage with it. Tell yourself the truth. Learn the answers. Next, defend your faith. Relinquish control. Resolve to be a light. Ready yourself reach out and respect those that you share with. Be loving. One of the quotes that I have in your program is William Lane Craig saying that your life is often the best apologetic, okay? Don't you dare give a solid argument for your faith and then destroy that argument with your life, okay? Don't do that. So defend your faith well. And guys, do all this very well with your eyes steadfast on Jesus. You will be changed forever and this world will as well. That's something you gotta, you got to get. There's a student I met several years ago that some of you know that came to school as an atheist. He told me he was a Christian. Turns out he was dating a Christian, but at the time he wasn't a Christian. And we would meet and go through apologetics, I thought, in a discipleship context. Okay? It was only years later I found out that that was instrumental in him putting his faith and trust in Jesus. But now he's in seminary studying to be a pastor. Guys, I encourage you, God will use you as you step out in faith, and the world will be changed. The harvest is ripe, we're told in Scripture. God has put you right where he wants you to make a difference, we're told in Scripture. Guys, take him at his word. Grow as an apologist. Step out. Take a step of faith. Trust him and do it well. That's all I have. I'm going to turn it over to uh, Dr. Collins now. Thank you.